All right, so we're going to jump into it. We've been going through Genesis, and we're, uh, we're up to chapter 3 now. So if you want to open up to Genesis 3, we're going to go through 1 through 13 today. Anybody need a Bible? Micah can grab you one if you need one. We're good? Sweet. So will you guys stand with me as we read the word together? Genesis 3, 1 through... Actually, I'm not going to go through 13. I'm actually going to go through 4. We're going to cover a lot less. Uh, Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will surely, you will not surely die for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So that's what we're going to unpack a small section, but I think really telling, I think it's going to be really telling of what we encounter really on a daily basis as believers, but let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. And we thank you for life. And we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for pursuing us through your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being our helper. And right now we, uh, as always, are in desperate need of your help. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me as we walk through this study together? Um, And Holy Spirit, would you, even my heart, would you soften our hearts and open all of our ears for what you have to say, not what I have to say, but what you have to say, Lord, that we would learn as we read your living word, that we would be soft hearts, that it would we would allow you to change us and for you to define us and for you to show us uh, the created order that you've, you've designed within us. Be glorified as we, we do all this together, as we do this as a family, as we pray for our family and as we worship you and remember what Jesus did on the cross through communion and all things. We just um, ask that you're the center and that you're glorified in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Go ahead. Have a seat. So something, uh, we've been talking about it through the study of Genesis. I think Genesis is, uh, at least for me, it's something that we've heard so many times that it's easy to read through it really quickly and kind of go, I, I, I know this, I know this, I, I've got this. And we kind of just fly through it. Um, and this has been a blessing for me, even just going through the study, because it forces me to go line by line and idea by idea and really stop and catch myself and saying like, well, what does that mean? What does that actually mean? And I feel like chapter three is just with almost with every study every week, this happens. But I feel like with chapter three, the same thing happens is that there's a major shift that happens in chapter three. And we just, or I just read right through it. All of a sudden there's a new character on the scene. We've gone through the creation account and now there's just boom, New, yeah, new serpent, new character on the scene, and it changes the 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 whole scene. Everything, everything's different, and this really means something. So, with this new character, first I'm going to unpack it, and then, as I was saying before, I think we're going to see a lot of ourselves in it. Of course, because we're talking about humanity, Adam and Eve, 
um, who are representing humanity, but also we, we see the struggle and hopefully in seeing the temptation and, and clearly seeing the struggle that we have, this battle between kingdoms, this battle between trust, this battle between our pride and submission as we kind of expose that flaw in us as uh, human beings, as fallen human beings who have, are now uh, have a sin nature, um, then I think we can easily, we can combat that better now having seen it as we go through this. So first it's let's, we need to tackle this new character that, that just showed up. Um, one thing that's just really interesting. We have the benefit of all of scripture, right? We have the entire canon. So we have revelation and revelation 20 verse two. I believe unless I'm dyslexic and have that backwards. I think it's 20 verse two. Um, it says, I don't have it quoted, but that the, this angel of the Lord will come down and grab the dragon. Um, and then it says that ancient serpent. And so we have the benefit having all of scripture to now look back at Genesis and go, this serpent is Satan. Um, interestingly enough, ancient Israelites don't know this. They don't know that this serpent is Satan. It's not, he's not named. Um, we don't have a lot about it. He's just on the scene and that's the author's that's the freedom the author has. And what the definitely the freedom the Holy spirit has in inspiring scripture. Um, we don't know why certain things are left out. Another one um, we'll get into it more next week, but um, we don't know why specifically that the serpent is speaking to only Eve and that Adam is not speaking up. I'll unpack this next week, but um, I've heard it taught before how Adam, where was Adam? And he's at, the scripture says that Adam was there. Uh, so it actually makes it worse. Adam was there just being a coward. I don't know what he was doing. Um, so there's, there's things that we don't know, but now that we, um, that they wouldn't have known, which we've been reading through Genesis as an ancient Israelite would. So they don't know of this, who the serpent is, but we do know a few things and they're given to us right off the bat. Um, one is the origin. So this is not, uh, this leaves no room for any kind of dualism that this is a created being. So this is the serpent. It says now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. So this is a created being, um, not to get into the weeds, but then you can even do a whole study on chaos monster and Leviathan, which you find in Isaiah. Um, and in different places you find it in Job. Um, but again, that's getting into the weeds, but we know that this is a, a created being. This is not, um, God's opposing equal that was around since the beginning. So this is something God was in existence on his own and has created. This isn't his opposing equal in, in the movie of the Bible where they battle. It's God is supreme and nothing matches him. So we got that one straight. So then the next thing we have is the characteristic, which this one was really interesting for me um, where it says now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Uh, this Hebrew word isn't used any other time in Genesis for cunning, but we see it all throughout wisdom literature, which if you're not familiar, the wisdom literature is Job, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. 
Um, really awesome study if you ever want to do a study on wisdom literature. Really cool how those three books um, play off each other and give you a balanced perspective. Um, so we see immediately because we know that the serpent is Satan, the deceiver, then we see cunning and we immediately attribute bad characteristics to it. And so that's how it's predominantly used in Job. So in Job, I'll give you a couple Job five twelve. He, he frustrates the devices of the crafty. So that's that same word for cunning so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. And another one, Job 15, five, same word for your iniquity teaches your mouth and you, and you choose the tongue of the crafty. So it's in a negative sense, but then all throughout Proverbs, it's actually flipped on its head and it's the same word is used um, opposing the fool. So a couple examples, these will sound familiar. Proverbs twelve sixteen, a fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. So the same word for prudent is that cunning word of the serpent and Proverbs fourteen fifteen, the simple believes every word, but the prudent considers well his steps. Um, I didn't write it down. If anybody wants to look it up really quick, uh, there's also the scripture, um, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So it's, it's speaking of the characteristic of this beast that was created, that it's cunning. And we're really going to see that as we're going to unpack this conversation. Uh, Bonhoeffer correctly stated this passage as the first conversation about God. So it wasn't conversation with God. This is the first documented conversation where God's not in the conversations, two people talking about God. Um, that's Bonhoeffer said that. So we're going to unpack and really see this cunning using it in a, uh, a terrible way. Um, whereas we're actually this same word as believers. We are to be wise. We are to be prudent um, in how we navigate this world. So let's just start going through it. Uh, this is verse. That's in the middle of three or middle of one. So, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said to you, said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Um, the way this should be read is less of a, it's a question, but less of a question and more of a gross exaggeration of God's command to Adam and Eve. It's an, it's an expression of shock. So it'd be more, if I can be more animated. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, to, said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So he's, he's laying this out here of like, whoa, God literally said, you can't eat of anything in this garden. And in this gross exaggeration, he's discounting everything. And he's just saying, he, he's asking a question, um, grossly over exaggerating the commandment of God. And here's the cunning, deceiving underhandedness of the whole thing. If you can catch it, he in, in that question, semi statement, he's taking God and moving him from a loving provider to a cruel taskmaster. Has God really said you can't eat of anything in here? 
And all of a sudden, Eve, Adam and Eve, I'm, I'm going to say Eve a lot because that's how the text says it, but understand next week we'll get into it. The next, when they partake of it, Adam's there. It says Adam's right there with her. Um, so he said, has God really said you can't eat of anything here? And immediately is, is creating this world of what kind of guy is this? Like, that's the implication, right? If, if we can put ourselves in those shoes, kind of in a scenario like that, he really said, you can't have any of this. Like what kind of guy is this? What in the world? And immediately right there has sown this seed of mistrust has sown this seed of, of doubt has sown the seed of maybe some bitterness of, huh? what is he holding out of me? And it's not truth. God didn't say they can't have any, anything in the garden. It was one tree, but he's grossly exaggerated and moved, trying to move God over from this loving provider that Adam and Eve have who are walking with him daily so close. We have to remember their relationship with God is unlike anybody else that has walked this earth. They walked with the living God in some form daily. How incredible is that? And we're going to see that come into play. We need to remember that that was the relationship they had as we read through this. So he sows this seed of doubt. He sows this seed of mistrust and is moved in this one statement, God over from that loving provider to a cruel taskmaster. Now Eve now has the opportunity. Again, Adam has the opportunity. Eve is the only one who steps up and really does anything, but Eve has the opportunity then to defend her loving provider and set the record straight. And what she does is she actually kind of goes the right direction, but she uses the same tactic I don't know if you've caught this before. She uses the same tactic that the serpent uses. She says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. Least you die. So the woman in uh, Genesis two seventeen, it says, well, someone turn there. Let's have a little participation. Who wants to read it? Genesis 2.17, read it. But of the tree of, the, of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Cool. Now let me read you back what Eve said. And God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. She added to it. She added to it, right? Yeah. It's so the serpent goes, you can't have anything in this whole place. And then I don't want to, I don't know what tone they spoke in. So I don't want to like, I want to make something that it's not, but how I'm seeing it with the verbiage here is that you can't have anything in this whole place. No, we can. We just can't eat of that one. I mean, we can't even touch it. God never said that. So she's already exaggerating and I think we can see in just that one move that that seed of mistrust, that seed of doubt, that seed of maybe bitterness of what is, what is being held out? What, what am I not getting fully has started to grow a little bit and it's, it's taken root and it, we're starting to see something come out of it. And God has now become this, uh, beginning to become this, this cruel oppressor 
to where it's not just eat, but now we can't even touch it. Verse four, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. And remember just like a few minutes ago, I was saying they are Adam and Eve are walking with the Lord daily. They are closely knit. They are completely heaven and earth are completely overlapped. We went through the, the whole study of Genesis one and the first couple verses of two going through the creation account. Remember what we landed on when we got to day seven is that the creation account is a story of the first temple that God built his first temple for himself, that he would inhabit And the temple is where the, the world of heaven and earth are completely overlapped. And man is living completely in that realm that God is living in. And then when sin enters the world, those two worlds separate And now God, we see through the old Testament and now he's doing it through us. We see that this intersection now isn't fully overlapped. Uh, I wish I had something else by sign of hands, but this intersection isn't fully overlapped anymore, but there's only a small part that's overlapped. And that's, that's the temple. That's these sacred spaces. But in, in Genesis one, they're completely overlapped that this is heaven and earth completely together. And then now, we're flashing forward to us as people is that we are now this temple. We are the place where God and man are overlapping on this earth until ultimately this, we're the place where people can meet the Lord through us as the Holy spirit is living through us. And we're, we died ourselves and Christ is living through us. We're the place where people can meet God until one day, those two worlds are going to fully overlap again when Jesus comes and brings heaven here on earth and fully vanquishes every King Pharaoh uh, kingdom on this earth. And then those worlds will be overlapped again. So they are Adam and Eve are in this world where they are walking, talking, close relationship with God. Now in verse four that we just read, listen to um, this is the cunningness of the serpent and what he's his end goal that he's trying to get to is that it's not, even though what he says is important, it's as we saw in verse two, it's the connotations of it. Just by saying you will not surely die. He's discounting what God had said to them, right? God said that they would, they would surely die. And in, and in saying that um, it wasn't a, you're going to drop dead immediately. It was saying that you are destined for death. As soon as you partake of this, you are destined for death. Your spirit is now, you are now the Lord of your own life and you are destined for death. That's you understand that, that you will surely die. So he's not only discounting and bringing in on a, a full offensive to God's word, but the underhanded deception here is that, the serpent knows God better than they know God. This tight relationship that they have all of a sudden he's coming in and I know we told you this, but I really know him. I really know what he's thinking. I really know the rules of the game. This isn't going to happen. And he's inserting himself between 
that relationship. He's stepping in between that relationship and, and again, like watering the seed of doubt, watering the seed of mistrust, watering the seed of, of uh, bitterness in them to separate them from God. Um, and you notice how Eve, um, you notice how Eve, when her reply even is telling of, she's not replying out of love. She's not replying even out of, um, of trust. She's replying out of a avoiding consequence. So it's not even a, why can't you eat of this? Because God who's given us everything told us not to. And I trust him. I believe him, but it's, these are the consequences for what, what happens. I would hope with my kids that they would, they would trust me and not everything, everything that they do is simply trying to avoid consequences, but knowing that, Hey, I know dad loves me and I know he said to not do this. So I'm going to trust him. And again, that, that seed of doubt, that seed of mistrust is being watered into where it's not a outpouring of no, like we can't, but I trust him. I walk with him every day. He's, he's been a loving provider. And I know you're trying to paint this picture that he's a cruel taskmaster, but that's not the guy. That's not the God I know. And you don't know him. (laughs) You don't, you don't walk with him every day. Like I do. She's already, um, she's being deceived and being walked down this road, this, this road by the serpent. Um, I think of, as I was going through this, I was thinking of, um, my boy Daxton, which throw that first picture up of him. Cause it'll help. That's Daxton. So let's say, um, he's one and a half. So let's say like, say he's th- four. So I can have somewhat of a conversation with him. Say he's four. And I tell Daxton, okay, buddy, you can play with anything in the house. We're good. Like, this metaphor isn't perfect, but follow me. You can play with anything in the house. Here's the thing, though. You don't get to play with the car. So what I've given Daxton, what I've taken from him is pales in comparison to what I've given to him. So the focus has become so quickly. Eve, Adam and Eve are forgetting about everything that they've been given And the focus is on one tree that they can't eat from. It's become the hero. It's become the center, which it's so silly. When you think about he is giving us, has given us everything, like literally everything else. And now this one thing we can't have. That's the thing that mm, let's try to bend the rules so that we can include that in the, in the list of things that we can have. And I think that we, this is again, one of those things, I think this is common to our humanity is that we have been blessed with so much. Rob even talked about this morning, this entitlement that we've been given so much and received so much from the Lord that we get this entitlement and where it's, we don't, we haven't been taught the word. No, we're just kind of spoiled. And the Lord has given us so much that when he says, no, 
and it's for our benefit, we want to step out from underneath him. We want to step out from under his lordship and say, no, 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 no. Like you've given me everything. I mean, Rob said it exactly this morning that you've given me, Oh, all this stuff. I love it. You've given just your grace, your love and your mercy. You've redeemed me. I don't deserve it. And then something happens in life that doesn't go the way we want. And all of a sudden, Whoa, God, I don't like how you're, I don't like how life is happening. And all of a sudden we question him when one thing doesn't happen, we forget so quickly all the goodness that he's given us. So that's what's happening here. So again, imagine my son Dax and I say like, here, buddy, you can play with everything. You just can't play with the car. You don't get the keys to the car. You don't get to drive the car. You're four. And so then some other little four-year-old, some little demon devil four-year-old comes along and says, Daxton, uh, really? Your dad said you're not allowed to play with anything at your house? And Daxton goes, no, I just can't drive the car and I can't touch the car. I probably shouldn't look at the car. I probably shouldn't say the word car. And now it just becomes the car, the car, the car, the car. That's the thing. That's the thing I need to play with. Forget everything else that I can play with. That's the thing. I got to get my hands on the car. Now, again, we have this benefit of seeing things through all of scripture. Is the Lord being cruel? Is the Lord being a taskmaster or is he wiser than us and is keeping us from things that we literally cannot handle? We literally aren't equipped to deal with, right? It's my four-year-old telling him not to drive the car makes all the sense in the world. He's not equipped physically to even, even if he could put all his weight on the gas pedal and he has it, he can fly out of the driveway. He's, he doesn't see things the way I can see things. You can see things. He doesn't know what traffic lights are. He doesn't know what lanes are. He doesn't know, but sure. Like, he can do it. He's going to cause destruction immediately. He, it's not that he can't do it, but it's f- for your own good. This is something that is designed beyond you. You are not designed at this point. And don't get me wrong. This analogy falls apart in that we will ne- never grow or elevate to a place where we can, or my son will someday drive. We will never be in that place. Um, but he is not equipped for that. And so this other little four-year-old who's representing this poor kid who has to represent the devil, but he's not a real kid. (laughs) Uh, So he's, he's now sowing this seed in Daxon of like, Hey, look, how is he? Why is he holding out on you? Why is he holding out on you? And then the heart of the father is, I don't want him hurt. I don't want anybody else hurt. This is far beyond him. And then what else does the, the servant say for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil right in front of us. Say this kid goes to Dax and says, your dad doesn't want you to drive because as soon as you learn to drive, you're going to be just like him. Go to the next picture. I think if I think it helps a little bit more. What's the deception in here? Adam and Eve are already like God. This serpent who's not created in the image of God is not God's image bearer is tempting them with. You will be like God when of all creation, the thing that is 
the closest association to God that bears his image, that is standing in his place as his representatives, as his earthly priests on this earth in that first temple, Eden, they bear his image and they're saying, Oh, you'll be like him. That's like a kid telling my son, if you learn to drive, you're going to be just like your dad. He already is just like his dad. There's no other person on this earth. Who's more like their dad than Daxon is to me. There's no other person that would, that closely resembles me like he does. And they give him a few years and probably like super resemble me the way I was with my dad. It's, it's throwing something out there. That's not even uh, an issue totally deceived in lost identity, lost identity that you are, he's designed you in his image. You are, you are set apart from all of creation. And I took a few weeks and tried to like humble us as people so that we didn't get all high and mighty and how we were formed from dust. And this is humbling. And day six wasn't the pinnacle of creation, but day seven was, but at the same time, Humanity was and is the only thing that bears God's image, the Imago Dei. So this is, this is important. This is uh, the image bearer and the, the serpent is completely bypassing and trying to make them Adam and Eve think that they don't, they don't bear that image. Um, the German theologian Gerard von Rad, which you're supposed to say with a German accent, but I love that his last name is Rad, Mr. Rad. Uh, He said, and he sums it up really well. The serpent's serpent's insinuation is the possibility of an extension of human existence beyond the limits set for it by God at creation. An increase of life, not only in the sense of pure intellectual enrichment, but also familiarity with and power over mysteries that lie beyond man. Let me read that again because it's deep and it encompasses this whole thing. The serpent's insinuation is the possibility of an extension of human existence beyond the limits set for it by God at creation. An increase of life, not only in the sense of pure intellectual enrichment, but also familiarity with and power over mysteries that lie beyond man. We are not designed to be God. And that should be, We all know that, but isn't it crazy how you and I uh, know that all, I mean, know all you guys, strong believers. And yet don't we struggle with that every day that every day, every time something comes down, some tragedy in life happens that we don't like, don't we go right back to the same interaction and that the same answers that Adam and Eve had and kind of go, like think in our head, I want to slip out from underneath the Lordship. Cause I think I can handle this better. I think I can be the Lord of my life. I think I'm going to run this cause I don't like how he's doing it. That's, we see this all through scripture and I see this in my life daily having to battle that. No, I, I, I'm dead and I'm living under the Lordship of Christ and submitting myself to him And I'm not going to understand everything. I'm not going to get it all, but I wasn't designed to sit on that throne. And so since I'm not designed that way, I need to understand that I may not get everything, but I need to submit to the one who is designed to sit on that throne and know how he designed me 
which we studied through Genesis, that he has designed me to be submissive underneath him and trust him and that he will work through us. Right. And as we trust him and his eternal view that he has the end from the beginning and how that's mind blowing as we trust him in his eternal view, as we're redeemed people, we know that the spirit is working in us. And though we, it doesn't make sense all the time. We trust and know that it's working together together for good because the one who's moving through us does see it's like me telling that it's, it's me and Daxton and Daxton trusting like, Hey dad, I know I can't drive the car. Can I drive with you? Can you drive the car? Yeah, I'll drive. I'm equipped to do that. And you get to play a part in it. We're going to have community. You get to play a part in this as, as we go through life, knowing our role. It's um, I feel like Genesis is a lot of identity. And so I feel like I keep saying this over and over every week, but it's, it's really keeps pointing back to how are we designed and will we submit ourselves to it? And fittingly as straightforward and common sense, maybe it seems that that message is that is not common sense in our culture today. Our culture has a massive identity crisis and it's everybody has no idea what they are, how they're created and the role that they're supposed to be playing. And so we're grasping at anything that may in that moment feel right. Like maybe it's this and then maybe it's this. And we have this insane identity crisis in our culture where the part that we can play is actually play the role that we were designed to play and let the world see. Pastor Rob also said that this, this morning that it's exciting to be alive now because the contrast between light and dark has never been so apparent. It's so obvious. And so with the craziness of the identity crisis in the world, someone who knows their identity and is living out their identity in Christ is going to be a tangible light in a dark place is going to really be something that the world is looking to And the Lord will use us to draw men and women unto himself and see the kingdom expanded. Um, There's another quote here that I really liked. Whenever one makes his own will crucial and God's revealed will irrelevant, whenever autonomy displaces submission and obedience in a person, that finite individual attempts to rise above the limitation imposed on him by his creator. We attempt to rise above the limitation imposed we attempt to rise to lordship and we see it over and over and over again in scripture. We see it over and over and over again for honest in our daily lives. And we need to come into submission of our Lord. So, so what do we do? What do we do when this hits us today? When we leave, what do we do when this hits us tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon? What do we do when this same temptation, maybe it's not a tangible serpent that's talking to us, but when we encounter something and we have that thought of, I don't know if God's as loving as maybe I thought he was. And right now I feel like he's cruel. He's a cruel taskmaster. And we feel or think that seed is starting to be sown in us. What do we do? Second Corinthians 10, five, if you want to turn there really quick, one verse, 
We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself above the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That no matter what sounds good, no matter what feels good, which is more of, I think the battle we're having in the culture today, everything goes through the filter of, we take it captive and we weigh it out. We, we bring it through the filter of, okay, does this pass what my creator has said? Does this pass through the filter of what my creator has designed? And as we take those thoughts captive, we are then going to uh, see ourselves fulfill that, that image that was given to us in Genesis. And you know what? It won't be easy. We, that's, that's, that's us dying to ourself daily. That's what this is. Is that these, these lies, these thoughts, these temptations are coming down daily, hitting us daily where they're trying to, again, in that, that first sentence, they're trying to move God from a place of loving provider to a cruel taskmaster. And every time a thought comes, a feeling comes where I want to live for me, I want to dictate my own life. I want to be the Lord of my life. And we won't think of it that way. Those are strong terms. We won't think of it that way. We'll sugarcoat it to where what we want to do sounds good. We'll see in uh, next week as we study that it even says that the, the fruit was appealing looking like they wanted it. It was a good looking fruit, whatever it was, you know, they wanted it. And so we're going to justify it to ourselves of, you know, and in almost in our own way, be the serpent and say, did God really, is that really, I don't think so. I think I can, I think I can step out over here and be the Lord of my life. And then we fall into the same trap. I feel like we're so easy to dog on Adam and Eve. Like you messed it up for all of us. We do it all the time. We do it every day. I'll do it probably before I go to bed tonight is just step outside of, of, God, I just don't want, stop telling me what to do. I, I'm so smart, which I'm not, I'm not equipped to be the Lord of my own life. And so as we go through um, life, as we go through our day to days, understand, hopefully this helps us understand that this is the playbook. This is the playbook of our flesh. This is our, the playbook of the deceiver is that let me discount the identity that was given to you. And let me tempt you with being the Lord of your own life. How awesome would it be if you didn't have to answer to anybody? You got to answer to yourself and whatever truth you had in you, you got to live that out. How awesome would that be? Sounds great, right? It's chaos. It's, it's turning right back on Genesis and going backwards and going right back into chaos. And we just have to trust. We have to trust that that is the truth. We don't get to see, uh, we can see chaos in some ways and see, Ooh, that was a, we can connect the dots and, and say that turned out terrible. And I follow that back to this decision, but sometimes we don't get to see it. And we have to do what I was saying before is just trust. He's a good loving father, trust him. And if we don't understand it, 
have that conversation with him. Lord, I don't understand this, but I trust you. That was my constant, uh, even frustrated. I probably said it in, I, I definitely said it in a tone that was not good, but that year where my dad was dying, uh, that was it. God, I don't get you. And I would vent. And then he would soften my heart at the end and I would say, what? All right, I trust you. Let's do this. That's life. That's what we're going through.